Welcome to Yoke Talk, a look behind the scenes at Yoke Youth Ministries. Yoke is transforming communities by mentoring middle school students, equipping young leaders, engaging local churches, and enriching local schools. And in each episode of Yoke Talk, we have a conversation with the people who are making that happen. Welcome back to another episode of Yoke Talk. I'm Jonathan Haskell, and with us today is a good friend of ours, uh, Dr. Keith Bailey. How are you, Keith? I'm good, Jonathan. Got um, got some coffee in my system and ready to have a good conversation with you this morning. Well, we've been looking forward to this for a while, um, and I, I know you're a busy guy, so we're just grateful for your time and being able to get on your calendar. I just want to let folks know uh, as we uh, kind of introduce you to them, uh, we're going to be talking about something called trauma. And uh, uh, Dr. Bailey does uh, some training. Uh, he's done some training for Yoke, and that it's been one of the most impactful things that we've done. Uh, you know, we always talk about our leadership development program. We want, obviously, we want our volunteers to be able to execute our program or, or kind of quote unquote do yoke uh, as effectively as possible but we really want to provide them with training and equip them uh, for life and ministry beyond their time with yoke and I think uh, this idea of the trauma responsive care uh, that uh, you've introduced us to has just been one of the most valuable things that we've done so I'm excited for this opportunity to introduce you to a larger audience hopefully it's a larger audience well, thanks. I uh, appreciate the invitation. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to train your staff and volunteers. Gosh, that was almost a year ago, I think, pre-COVID. Yeah, even. it was one um, of the last things we did pre-COVID. So okay. uh, we need to have you back. <laughs> yeah, I would love to do that. Um, and I appreciate you all um, being mindful of the impact of trauma and, and doing the work to equip your staff and volunteers to uh, attend to those kids who've We've had a difficult past and, uh, you know, don't walk into your programs unscathed by their own trauma or the trauma in uh, their families. Yeah, we, uh, we're always looking for ways uh, to connect with kids uh, better and to, uh, you know, kind of address whatever those obstacles are to uh, forming relationships, healthy relationships with them. I know that this trauma training is just a small part of what you do. Uh, so why don't you start uh, just by kind of introducing yourself and your work uh, to our audience? Sure. Uh, first of all, I'll, I'll tell you about me and where I'm coming from with this information. And then I'm excited to tell you about Harmony Family Center, where I've been working for the past five years. I've been working with families and youth for over 30 years. I started out doing youth ministry work and uh, was the chaplain at Holston United Methodist Home for Children for nine years and spent a total of 15 years there. Uh, went into training and then administrative work there. Um, have done consulting with the University of Tennessee, their social work office of research and public service. Um, I've trained foster parents, trained DCS staff, developed curricula, did technical uh, support with uh, DCS, also done some, some national training and consulting, especially about uh, reducing intrusive measures with kids in care and kids in school 
schools, like reducing the use of restraints and seclusion and using meds just to, you know, stop behavior in the moment. And then I found my way to Harmony uh, about five years ago, and it's just been such a blessing to work with Harmony because they're a passionate agency, a passionate bunch of folks I work with and, and do some cutting edge stuff. So Harmony started out as an adoption support agency. Um, it was founded by Pam Wolf. So 25 years ago, she was a, a single mom with a, um, a master's in social work, and she adopted a, a baby from China and found that the process was very difficult for her, even as a social worker, to understand. And she thought there's other people who are probably having a difficult time, too, and they need support. So she started the agency from her kitchen table to support other adoptive families and went on to do uh, some national education on infant adoption to professionals, even doctors and nurses who were a part of the adoption process you know, right when it was occurring, when some infants were being given up in the hospital to other families. And Harmony has just grown and blossomed from, from there. Um, now we serve the entire state of Tennessee to provide adoption education and adoption support. So we're preparing families who want to adopt, whether it's private adoption or uh, even international adoption. But most of our families adopt kids out of the child welfare system. So every year, there's about 700 kids out of the eight or 9,000 in the child welfare system who have parental rights terminated. They don't have a home identified for them. So we have a whole department that tries to find those kids uh, a forever family. And then we have a, a full clinical staff that works with families and children after the adoption because um, when, when the papers are signed, when the kid comes to live with the family and even them providing a lot of love and support and resources, their, their past issues and their past trauma doesn't go away. Sometimes that comes out uh, in their behavior and other struggles and, and of course filters into just the life of the family. So our folks go in and work with the families, work with the kids on, on some of their uh, trauma issues and, and just try to bring health to those relationships. We train foster parents. Uh, my, my training department does a lot of professional development for teachers, uh, other clinical staff. Uh, we're doing more work with faith communities to help them understand trauma and what their role can be in the healing process. And faith communities are, are just uniquely equipped um, to meet the needs of folks who've had some difficult pasts and who are working through their trauma and you know, seeking healing through positive relationships. Um, and we have a camp. We have a beautiful 360-acre camp in Maryville, Tennessee, and we do uh, therapeutic camps for kids and adoptive families, uh, even kids who come from uh, the child welfare system who are uh, older and learning some life skills. We bring them out and do some work with them. And we do retreats and professional development out there. Uh, use a lot of cutting edge uh, therapeutic techniques, a lot of well-researched techniques, but also uh, we do equine therapy. We use horses in the therapeutic process. We use dogs in the therapeutic process. Sometimes it's easier to relate to a golden retriever than it is to uh, another human being and feel safer. Uh, we use I've experienced therapeutic. That. 
Yeah, therapeutic drumming. Uh, we have a, a therapist who's trained in yoga and trauma responsive yoga. So do a lot of cool things, and it's just an exciting organization to be a part of. That sounds like uh, interesting and varied work. <clears throat> and yeah, I want our I want our listeners today as they listen uh, and and try to understand about what you do. Uh, to also be thinking that that this is maybe something that you can help them out with, right? Yeah, sure. Um, we're always keen to help people understand um, what kids face developmentally just in this world today with a, a pandemic, with all the stressors that they face with the complexity of the world. But um, that just gets magnified and exacerbated when you start talking about high stress and trauma in their lives. So uh, we want people to understand that and not just understand it, but know what they can do. And I always tell people, you don't have to be a, a master's level therapist uh, to bring healing into people's lives. I'm not a therapist. Uh, my background is in child development, so I'm not trained like some of my colleagues are, but uh, all of us can play a role in bringing healing if we understand what's going on with the kid and uh, what we can what we can do to help just calm them and be a safe presence to them. Yeah, I can certainly uh, testify to that. Um, the clubs uh, that are, are led by our leaders who went through your training sometimes look very different from the clubs where the leaders have not experienced your training. Uh, and it doesn't take uh, a whole lot to make a big difference. And uh, I've seen our leaders kind of uh, utilizing your, your techniques and, and exercises and activities uh, in urban settings as well as rural settings and making a big difference. So uh, that's certainly something that we've experienced. Even just in this brief introduction, uh, you've used the word uh, trauma on a number of occasions. And I, I know for our listeners, as it was for me a couple of years ago, this is probably a new topic, a new conversation, and not really sure what we're talking about. So uh, kind of before we go any further, would you just take some time to uh, maybe just define trauma and, and tell folks what we're talking about? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, trauma has become a, a buzzword in, in our society and certainly in clinical and educational settings. And we overuse it and misuse it. People would say, yeah, I didn't get my right coffee this morning at Starbucks, so I'm traumatized. Or, uh, you know, I was uh, traumatized driving through traffic in Knoxville, which may or may not be the case. Uh, but there are some very technical definitions of trauma, and I, I try to use a more practical one. Um, is uh, Trauma is, is something that's frightening, it's dangerous, it, it may be a violent event that causes somebody to feel like their physical safety or the safety of someone else is threatened. Um, so where trauma crosses the line for me from stress um, is when you start to feel unsafe. Um, so your your worldview changes because something has happened to you or you witness uh, trauma occurring to someone else and you start to think maybe the world's not safe or a certain person is not safe, a certain situation is not safe. And it literally changes um, the way you think, 
and the way you react, your emotions. And what we're finding is it, it literally changes the brain and body. It rewires it. And um, when you have a, a big traumatic event, whether it's a natural disaster or, you know, somebody gets robbed or you see somebody who gets beat up or sadly somebody who gets killed, um, your your body responds in a protective way. It's how we're wired. We, we want to survive that situation. We want other people to survive the situation. So our body and brain start to go into a different mode of being uh, to survive that moment. And um, what we see is that the aftermath of that um, can can last six or eight weeks, and that's pretty common. You can have certain behaviors, uh, certain emotions, certain thoughts or struggles with thoughts uh, that last for a while. And um, as I said, that that's common, and usually people um, kind of calm, and their life gets back to a fairly normal state after that time. But if uh, trauma keeps persisting in people's lives or the impact of trauma keeps persisting, um, these behaviors, these emotions, these thoughts, these struggles in the body uh, can last a long time, even a lifetime. So it's understanding um, you know, what those are and how we and professionals can get involved to help people get back to as close to a normal life as possible after trauma. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that strikes me just about uh, what you said, and, and I heard it, you know, when we went through the training ourselves, was it's not simply an emotional response. There, there's actually a physical response. Our our bodies change uh, due to some of the things that we experience, and as you said. If it's a one-time event, you know that's one thing, but it could be something that's just an ongoing uh, kind of state of being as well. Yeah, and we're we're finding that sadly some kids start to experience trauma in utero because mm -hmm. their their mothers are traumatized. Their mothers are in these situations where uh, the trauma changes their brain and bodies, and what's coursing through their bodies. Uh, starts coursing through the, uh, the fetus's body. So we see kids who have a difficult start uh, with, with the impact of trauma. And we know that um, if trauma is what's called pervasive developmental trauma, it's something that happens um, on an ongoing basis in the lives of kids, um, especially young children between the ages of uh, newborns to to three-year-olds, it literally rewires their brain and, mm -hmm. and rewires their body. And they have a more survivalistic kind of approach to life rather than uh, I'm relaxed, I want to explore, I want to play, I want to connect with people. Um, and so it has the most impact on, on younger kids. And there is a difference, as you said, between kind of one-time trauma, like a car wreck or a, a natural disaster that it may be seconds or hours as opposed to uh, trauma that kids may face every day or every week. And um, the impact on the body, as you mentioned, uh, really came to light in a study that was done in the mid-1990s called, called the ACEs study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. Mm -hmm. There were two physicians, uh, one out of California, one out of the CDC, who mm -hmm. were looking at people's uh, medical issues, some of their emotional 
um, mental health issues, uh, life challenges, life success markers, and started to make a connection between things that happened to them in childhood and what they were experiencing, not just emotionally, but physically with their uh, health challenges later in life. And the ACEs study showed that things that happen in childhood can can go with you for a lifetime. So they looked at 10 different things in the categories of physical abuse, uh, emotional abuse, even <clears throat> sexual abuse. Um, they looked at neglect and <clears throat> they looked at some of the household dysfunction challenges that kids struggle with, like someone who's abusing drugs or alcohol, living with somebody who has mental health uh, challenges. If a parent is incarcerated, if they've lost a parent, things like that. And uh, looking at 10 indicators, they found that people who had higher ACEs scores, as they called them, uh, ended up having more medical issues, uh, emotional, mental health issues, um, at-risk behavior like using illicit drugs, alcoholism, um, smoking, and then uh, had lower life potential, uh, which means a higher percentage didn't graduate from high school, um, they didn't get any other education or training. Um, they weren't going to jobs. They weren't holding jobs. They weren't making a lot of money, even at jobs, to support themselves and others. So we've we've lived with this myth for a long time that what happens to kids happened a long time ago, and they'll get over it. They're resilient, and life will be okay. But what this study showed us is that um, these have a direct impact on not only their life, but their um, their physical life and emotional life. And I would say that bleeds over to your, your cognitive capacities and even your spiritual life later on. And one of the things, uh, you've already brought it up a little bit, but I was just blown away. Um, I was reading about ACEs or these adverse childhood experiences and uh, learned that they can actually, as you said, they, they actually kind of alter your genetic makeup. And some of that stuff can be hereditary. Uh, I, I read that um, the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors had higher baseline levels of, of stress than uh, their peers. Uh, talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, there's a, a new field of genetics called epigenetics, and I want to tell everybody I'm not a geneticist nor an epigeneticist, so I'm given a, a layman's You've uh, lecture. You've probably read more about it than we have. <laughs> on this, but uh, what epigenetics shows us is that um, there are things that they don't change our DNA, but they change the way our DNA is expressed. They, they flip on or flip off uh, certain ways that it's it's expressed for for example if um, your whole family is tall your grandfather or grandmother was tall your mom and dad are tall um, you probably have the genetic potential to be tall as well however if you don't get uh, a lot of food or the right food if, um, if you go through periods of starvation especially early on you may not be able to reach your potential of being mm -hmm. as tall as your family. So the environmental factors of not having food uh, flip on and off how your body survives that. And so if you don't have food, you don't grow as tall and as big because you don't have the food to sustain that bigger body. So that's just a, an example of how 
to look at epigenetics. And um, as you said, we're finding that the stress that goes on in people's lives um, that flip on and flip off the way their genetics are expressed can be passed on at least one or two generations. And this field is just so new, it's only about 15 years old. there's not enough good research to show if it goes beyond that. They've done some animal studies to show it can go on in multiple generations. But you, you talk about people in the Holocaust. I read one study of a, a, a group of people who were cut off from food in World War II, and um, they looked at, at uh, pregnant women and then their offspring, and then the second generation, which would be their grandchildren. And uh, since they were cut off from food, you know, their bodies changed uh, to deal with the starvation, and also the bodies of the the fetuses changed. And then um, when those kids were born, and then there were plenty of food there, their bodies weren't used to having that amount of nutrition. So they found that there was more obesity, there were more heart issues, and and there were other medical issues related to um, how their body dealt with food after that. And so, as you said, it, we're looking at it kind of passing on to other generations. And and we find even in our own country that um, this is an issue for uh, communities that have had uh, challenges uh, for generations, uh, for maybe even centuries. So uh, traditional lower socioeconomic status communities, poor communities. And we find um, that this is an issue in communities of color as well because of the lack of resources, but also um, some of the racism and racial weathering uh, that goes on that creates a lot of stress in folks' lives. Hmm. I don't suppose that a global pandemic has helped either. It has not. It has just multiplied everything by an X factor. Um, And so people who are already stressed, if they have more economic stress, um, you know, stress about housing, that just adds to all this. And uh, now in the trauma field, we're talking about what's the event, um, what's the experience of individuals and, and what are the ongoing effects so we know people have experienced the pandemic very differently. Some people get to work at home and that may reduce stress or add stress depending on how many people at your home. <laughs> if you have kids and dogs and uh, all sorts of people kind of in your space. Um, and then we know some people who have lost jobs and income and are worried every month about housing and those people who've been impacted by uh, the health issues uh, that just, that just multiplies the stressors. So, you know, the ACEs study only looked at 10 things, um, but we could probably go on and make a list of 25 or 30 things that are adverse experiences. And they did not have a global pandemic on their original study. So that's certainly one we could add to this. Yeah. Well, thinking um, specifically uh, about students. Uh, you know, Yoke mm-hmm. is, a, is a middle school program primarily, uh, and I know a lot of the folks uh, that are associated with Yoke are in student ministry uh, in, a, in a nonprofit or church or school context. What, what would that kind of look like? If a student walks into Yoke Club, uh, how might that, that trauma manifest itself? 
it looks very different across the board, depending upon the age and stage and depending upon uh, each individual. We're all wired so differently. Even two kids who come from the same family can be wired differently and positive and negative things affect them differently. So, um, you know, there, there's a typical list of things we, we look at from um, how the body responds to how the uh, emotional reactions are to how the the mind is working. So, um, for instance, we know that people who experience high stress and trauma can have headaches. They may have a higher heart rate or breathing rate. They ha may have more stomach and digestion issues. Um, uh, they, they may experience lack of sleep or they may sleep too much. So you may have a kid who walks in the door who really can't attend to anything because they're so tired by the time they get to you all at the end of the school day, they've used up a lot of energy and maybe they slept through most of their classes um, or because they're not getting sleep at, at night or maybe falling asleep or pulling a hoodie up over their head and checking out is their way of saying, hey, I've had enough stimulation in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I need a break. I, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to jump around and sing songs and, uh, you know, do these activities. I'm done for the day. I want to be with people, but hey, just kind of back off for a minute. Um, and then the emotional reactions can uh, vary. It can be everything from anger and irritability to being anxious and jittery to, um, you know, kids who, who looked really depressed and um, there may be these kids who worry about every little thing and attend to every little sound and movement. And if somebody raises their voice to get the whole crowd's attention, uh, they may see that as a threat because in their home, when somebody raises a voice, that means, you know, bad things are going to happen after that. And then, um, you know, thinking about how it affects their, their thinking, um, they can have difficulty remembering things, making decisions, have a lack of focus. So you're given instructions to this big group. I need you to go here. Then we're going to do this. And then uh, you need to attend to that and take care of this before you go. And these kids may get the first one or the second one, but they've lost the other three or four things you say to them after that. And, um, you know, they, they miss things. They miss things in school because um, they're attending to their safety and looking for safety a lot. Um, they're trying to figure out who's in power, how are people going to use their power. And so they're not remembering a lot of details. So we find it, it has an impact on their learning, but it also has an impact on how they function in uh, after school groups or sports groups. I'm doing a study with a group now of how trauma impacts kids in sports and uh, even collegiate and professional athletes. How does high stress and trauma change their brains and bodies and their you know, finely tuned machines at the collegiate and uh, professional level? And we find that uh, it, it affects them just like it affects other people. So, um, yeah, there, there could be a myriad of things that any one kid could show. Uh, so physical issues, emotional issues, um, cognitive thinking issues that we've got to be aware of and not just say, um, they're, they're disrespectful or they don't care about what's going on here. It may be they're struggling and they're struggling at all levels. And once we realize that, I think we have a, a different, uh, feeling about them, a, a different empathetic approach and a different starting point to how we interact with them.
Yeah, I think uh, that's such a good point. Um, you know, one of the things that we've taken away from this is uh, it's given us a lot more compassion uh, instead of just yeah. putting kids into categories of, you know, you're a good kid, you're a bad kid. Uh, it's made us uh, more open and more compassionate to what kids are struggling with. I think it was you uh, that that pointed out to us, you know, we when a kid acts up or acts out uh, or uh, is more introverted even it can be it can be one or the other um, I think you're the one that taught us you know we usually say what's wrong with you and instead of saying what's wrong with you the question is what has happened to you that's right that that came uh, straight out of the ACEs study that shift in how do we start to look at things and uh, Tennessee has done a great job of developing training through their Building Strong Brain Tennessee curriculum. And that's one of the main points in that curriculum, that it shifts uh, our approach to the kids. And we start to think about what happened to them. And as I said, that gives us a, a different understanding of them and a, and a different starting point. Uh, instead of punishing kids for not being on task or uh, being disrespectful or um, not attending to the rules, uh, we start to think, yeah, I wonder what their life has been like and their night before has been like and their day has been like. And gosh, no wonder they're struggling. And how can I how can I help the kid through this and support the kid rather than uh, make the kid feel even worse? Yeah, sometimes uh, singling them out or, or calling them out, uh, uh, yelling at them certainly can really just make it that much worse yeah it just adds to to their belief system that the the world and the adults in the world are are challenging and another obstacle to overcome so i always tell people uh, you know when we walk into a kid's life and walk into their space we we want to be seen as an ally and not an obstacle so that question what happened to you uh, i think puts us in a better position to be an ally so again, uh, thinking kind of in the context of maybe a yoke club or a youth group setting or even a classroom, uh, what are some things that we can do? Uh, how, how do we kind of, uh, what, what steps or actions can we take to, to mitigate this uh, trauma response? I know you talk about a lot of, uh, I, th I think the words you use, correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, trauma responsive care. Right. Um... Well, it's first meeting the, the child where he or she is, and that that can be so many different places because we find that people have so many different reactions to trauma and stress. Some get hyper aroused and they're kind of jacked up. Their bodies are jacked up. Their brains and emotions are jacked up. And other kids, we, we say dissociate. They kind of check out. So realizing that both ends of the spectrum it can be a response to um, stress and, and trauma, and then just um, just trying to figure out what's going to help the child to feel safe. And uh, we study with Dr. Bruce Perry, uh, who's been studying trauma for 30 plus years. He wrote the book, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, and he just recently wrote a book uh, with Oprah called 
what happened to you? And he and Oprah have been talking about this for 30 years when he was in Chicago and she was based out of there. And uh, they finally put their conversations together in the book. And he's this brilliant neuroscientist and child psychiatrist who tries to teach the rest of us, you know, what do you do if you're not a psychiatrist or if you're not a neuroscientist, you're not a therapist. Uh, you're somebody who coaches kids, does an after-school program, you're a teacher. And he breaks all this down to the mantra, uh, regulate, relate, reason. First, you regulate, you meet them where they are and help them to feel calm in their brain, in their body, in their emotions. Um, and then you develop that healthy relationship where you're a safe person who creates a safe place, um, who is a resource to them. And then and only then can you start to reason and reflect with them. So uh, whether you're teaching them life skills or academic skills or discipleship skills, um, you have to get the other two in order. He calls it a sequence of engagement. So first it's helping them to feel calm and meeting their needs. And if there's a kid who needs to sleep, you know, waking them up and making them do all these activities uh, is going to be counterproductive for them and for what you're trying to accomplish with them. So maybe they need some rest um, if, if they're stressed out because of what's been happening or what happened that day in school. Um, we just make sure that we don't add any more stress. Maybe they need to sit out from a high energy activity. There are those kids who um, need to get their energy out. So those kids, when we're trying to be quiet, reflective and have a conversation or do some teaching with them, those are the kids who may be standing up and pacing in the back, or they may need to have a fidget or they've got um, you know, a ball that they're rolling back and forth with the staff person and they're listening, they're attending. They just need a way for that body to get their energy out. So there's just a, just so many things, a myriad of approaches, but it's just understanding that, you know, this kid has a need. I meet them where they are. I help them feel calm. Um, I'm a resource to them with that healthy relationship. And then I can start to do the work of teaching and preparing them for, uh, being successful later in life. Yeah, this uh, this this system or this process, regulate, relate, and reason. It sounds easy enough, but you know, uh, right, let's let's start with regulate. And and you know, when I was listening to you for the first time, I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to be able to help a kid, you know, regulate after all they've been through? Some of the things that you presented to us are, are very simple. And I, I know, as you said, there's uh, thousands of different ways you can do that. But uh, give us an example of how simple some of this is. I know you already talked about just uh, rolling a ball back and forth. But how does that work? Well, one of the things we have to realize is that, you know, the stress that they're experiencing, the trauma that they're experiencing changes the way their body works. And the body is going to give you away and give the symptoms of this away probably before the uh, emotions and the thinking uh, processes or something that we recognize. In fact, there was a, another psychiatrist, Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And he was working with vets. 
And he said, you know, these guys coming back from Vietnam are not just experiencing cognitive and emotional problems. It's it's coming out in their bodies and their behavior. So realizing that the body has a way of reacting first as a protective um, mechanism and trauma. And what we've got to do is just, again, meet not only the child, but the body where it is. And so if you've got a kid who's really, really stressed, it may be doing some calming breathing exercises. We, we talk about a four square where you literally take your finger and put it in the air. And while you draw a square, you breathe in at the top side of the square, you breathe out on one side, you breathe in on the bottom side of the square you breathe out uh, as you're going back up and you're tracing a square in the air and having very thoughtful um, pattern managed breath. And that helps to regulate the body. There's lots of resources online about how to do breathing exercises with kids. Uh, we find that a lot of kids who live in high stress and trauma situations, their body wants to be moving. So telling them to sit down and be quiet and stop moving and eyes on me may not be something they're capable of. So we give kids fidgets to play with. Um, now, I, I know the little spinners used to be the thing, and now it's the little pop things that, like the bubble wrap uh, that they're giving kids and an adult. It works well with adults, by the way. We have them in our boardroom <laughs> for our staff and, and our board members to play with during meetings. If it's good for kids, it's good for adults. Uh, it may be, as I said, that kid who uh, needs to pace back and forth because their body is so full of energy and saying, sit down, be quiet, be still. It's not where their body is. So it, it's helping them find a way to kind of deal with the energy they have and, and to be a resource for them of helping them find some ways because saying to a kid, calm down, who's never felt calm in their life from birth uh, is asking them to do something they don't have the skill set to do. So um, even some yoga poses and not a full-blown yoga routine, but just some stretches and nice calm movements of the body uh, can help a a kid to come down. And then there are those kids who kind of check out. Uh, and you, you made a reference to, you know, calling kids out by name, uh, especially in a group, how embarrassing that can be to kids. Um, for those kids who check out, that's their way of dealing with traumas. Like I've had enough, I need to check out. And they've learned that as a technique because early on they couldn't fight, they couldn't flee, they couldn't get it out in their body. So it was more like, I'm not here. I'm not me. This isn't happening. I'm just going to go within myself. So instead of calling them out, you may go over to them and some kids need a gentle touch. Some don't. Um, they don't want to be touched, but you use a nice calm voice and call them by name uh, without bringing attention to them with the rest of the group and say, hey, um, I want you to look up and, and see five things you can tell me about that are in the room. What are four things that you hear? Um, is there anything that you smell or feel right now in a very gentle way of bringing them back into that space and into that activity? Um, so those, those are two extreme examples of bringing a kid back who's checked out in a very calm uh, and and respectful way and also letting that kid who has high energy calm down um, through getting some of the movement out in a socially appropriate way and um, 
you know, these, these are skills that the kids don't have yet. And we've got to work with them time and time again uh, to help them learn what it's like to feel calm and feel present and to feel safe. Um, so if folks are interested in this, they can Google breathing techniques. They can uh, Google sensory techniques for trauma. And there's many things that uh, folks can use in the classroom, can use in group work, can use in uh, faith community work. And like I said, um, there are things that we can as adults do as well. So uh, fidgets, exercise, movement, uh, calming activities all work well to help our bodies to to regulate when our bodies regulate it helps our minds to calm as well one last question for you keith um i i grew up in a a kind of a conservative uh christian environment and uh, i'm thinking you know as in that environment that i grew up in uh, i probably would have been very skeptical of of all of this Uh, how do you how do you see this psychology and the science kind of kind of integrating with our faith well it's all about relationship you know the faith community our our relationship with uh, god our relationship with people in the faith community our relationship in the world is what it's about and we want to have um, safe loving purposeful relationships uh, with all those uh, and have a good relationship with ourselves so if we cannot separate the spiritual side from the mental health, cognitive side, emotional side, and the body side of it and, and put it all together and say, we're, you know, we're whole beings uh, created in the image of God uh, and wants peace and love and success and happiness and joy and healthy relationships in our lives. I think it all meshes together uh, nicely. And as I said in the beginning, I think the, the church and other faith communities are in a, in a unique position to be that, that first line of recognition of what's going on in people's lives and be that first line of support to and not think, oh, you know, the, the physician or the therapist, they need to do their part. And then once they get that sorted out, they can be a, a good integrated member in our faith community. Uh, it's you know, we all have a role to play. And one thing I like about Dr. Perry's work is he said, you know, the the people who bring healing into other folks' lives are the people who spend the most time with them. So you may see your physician once every three months. You may see a therapist if you're lucky once a week. But the people um, you're in school with, who's in your neighborhood, who's in your household, who's in your faith community, you see those folks on a daily and weekly basis. So we talk about having a whole brain, whole body, whole community approach uh, to bringing healing. And I I think um, the faith community is one of the main players in this to bring healing to folks' lives. So uh, that's the way I integrate it. Uh, A truly holistic approach can be a holy approach as well. I like that. Where can people go for more information if, if uh, you know, they want to follow up on some of the things they've heard your day? Do you have books or websites uh, that where people can go? Yeah, um, I mentioned the curriculum that the state of Tennessee has developed. I think it's one of the best in the country. It's called Building Strong Brains Tennessee. Uh, they've trained over a thousand trainers who can go out and train people 
Uh, they've trained about 40,000 um, lay people, clinicians, teachers, professionals in this. So uh, that's on the Tennessee State website, Building Strong Brains Tennessee. Um, the National Child Traumatic Stress Network is another good resource. Uh, they're a national organization that puts out a lot of very practical um, trauma education and trauma tips, trainings and handouts and one pagers that people can use in schools and uh, community programs. Um, I mentioned a couple of books, um, Dr. Bruce Perry's The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, where he talks about his theory but also puts it in the context of case studies. So he was the lead psychiatrist when the children in the Branch Davidian compound got pulled out of that compound after the ATF firefight, and they were sent to a, a United Methodist children's home, and he was called in to lead the clinical team. And so he writes about those cases and other cases he experienced in Texas and Chicago. His book with uh, Oprah, uh, What Happened to You? is uh, another good one where he takes all this and puts it in very practical terms. I mentioned um, the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And um, I always like the work of Dan Siegel. He's another um, psychiatrist and he, he's also somebody who's into mindfulness and brings those two worlds together. And he's written some great books for how parents uh, can do a good job parenting their, their children. And it's called The Whole Brain Child. Um, it's another one I highly recommend. Um, and I think that's a, that's a good starting point. So uh, several books uh, and the National Child Traumatic Stress Network is just a, is just a, a great resource for practical tips. And folks can find our trainings at Harmony. Uh, we have a resource center where we support parents. We have a uh, clinical center there that works with families and kids who have experienced trauma. So we're a, a resource right here in Knoxville. That was my next question. That's a great uh, list of resources, but how can folks get in touch with you? <laughs> they can uh, find our website, uh, harmonyfamilycenter.org. Um, and uh, I don't have the phone number pulled up. I never call myself at work in the office. But <laughs> our, our phone number is on the website, harmonyfamilycenter.org. And they can ask about training. They can ask about the resource center. And one of my colleagues, Allison Douglas, is probably one of the most educated people in this field I know. Not only does she know this academically, but she's the mother of four children adopted from the child welfare system. So she lives and breathes this and has four beautiful, successful kids finding their way in the world. And she's a wonderful resource to coach parents. And then we have our therapeutic services uh, uh, where we, we do therapy and, uh, as I said, use horses and dogs and all other techniques to help people find that, that common regulation in their lives. I think folks that have figured out how to download and listen to a podcast can probably find your website. All right, good. <laughs> don't need a phone number. Yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll figure that out. Maybe good. we can put it in the in the uh, the show notes. <laughs> right. All right. Keith, thanks for joining us today. Uh, as always, you've been encouraging and informative. 
And uh, we look forward to having you back uh, with the Yoke family to learn even more from you. I look forward to that. Thank you for this opportunity. And I'm a, I'm a fan of yours and a fan of what you do in, in Yoke and all the schools you work with. And appreciate you all doing the work to understanding trauma and uh, implementing good um, trauma responsive techniques in your programming. So it's good working with you. Likewise. To learn more about Yoke, visit yokeyouth.com. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you never miss an episode. And follow us on Instagram at yokeyouth.com.